Hi, I'm Ray from Insert Quest here. My pronouns are they, them. And joining me are Sid and Jamila. Uh, can the two of you introduce yourselves, starting with Sid? Uh, hello, my name is Sydney Icarus. My pronouns are they, them. I'm an RPG designer and an RPG analyst. And relevant to today's conversation, I'm also a registered paramedic in Australia. Hi, uh, I'm Jamie. My pronouns are also they, them. I am a full-time tie reader and psychic. I guess related to today's topic, I do spend some time talking to people who have died, if I'm going to <laughs> put it out there. Uh, but I'm also a part-time game designer. Wonderful. Uh, and I am our token novice. Um, my main experiences with death are through knowing people who have died. Uh, but other than that, I don't have any, like, professional experience, but I do a lot of game stuff. Uh, today, if you can't tell from the title of the episode, we're going to be talking about how you can explore themes of death and related to death in game design and also in art in general. Um, and we're going to be focusing a lot on how that relates specifically to tabletop role-playing games and what kind of narratives you can find by exploring death. Uh, but we'll also talk about like a bunch of stuff that I'm sure will be applicable uh, elsewhere. Um, we don't really have much of an agenda set for this other than we just want to have a conversation and sort of see what, the, what, uh, what kind of ideas we can find together and make each other aware of. So does anyone have an idea of where they'd like to start? Jamie, you sent out this beautiful, uh, well-laid-out agenda with subheadings and titles and all. Oh, my gosh. I, I thought this is going to get me into trouble, but... <laughs> okay, well, so I, I mean, it's an excellent jumping-off point, so why don't you... Yeah. What, yeah. Tell us some things about death. Well, um, I think in general, when it comes to games, like, okay, so when I first got into Sword Dream, the OSR community... One of the things I always asked over and over again is why is death such a focus in most of our mainstream games, right? Or in most of our classic games? Uh, why is, and you know, the answer I would always get is, well, it's the worst possible outcome. It's the only thing we're not sure about in life and how death works. And so that's why most of the rules have to be focused on death and everything can just be common sense or everything can just be open. But I've always personally had a problem with it because... I feel like it's putting death on this weird pedestal of it, be, it being the scariest thing when really it's the most natural thing, right? If we really think about it. Um, and I don't like the idea of a game being pressured by death. Like it's death is chasing you and the characters. I always yeah. found that weird. I was going to say, it's interesting like that those were the answers you got. Cause like, it feels very much in those games that death is a consequence, but those games don't, aren't about, death like death is just <laughs> death is just you have zero hit points in your game and you can't play your character anymore is often like i mean that's right. a predominant narrative in a lot of um i mean that's what happens in dungeon world <laughs> as well <laughs> and like so it's not just osr games but we also see that in right. other right. like new school of design let's call it um <laughs> whereas like death is always present yeah, exactly. Like de death is death is 
death is a consequence, right? It's not actually, mm-hmm. it, 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 that doesn't relate very directly to how we explore death in other art. Right. Yeah, I think that the biggest difference in how we explore death in games versus how we explore it across other art is that um, primarily in role-playing games, death is the end of the story. Uh, I'm not saying anything new there. That's That's been a thing that people say about D&D forever, that death is the, the least interesting thing you can do to a character because it's where we stop the story. Uh, when, a, when a character reaches zero hit points, fails three death, death saving throws, and dies in Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition, the player doesn't play through the effects of that death on the character they don't play through the transition they don't do anything like that instead they get a pencil a blank character sheet and they begin again yeah there aren't mechanics for there aren't even mechanics that govern like how the other players characters the other characters in the narrative might feel or anything to prompt them um which is the kind of like that's the kind that's the aspect of death and dying in games that I am most interested in. Like the one of the my most fun experiences in games has been when like I'd played this character f- through one arc of this game and then we were going to do a second arc of the game mm-hmm. and I really loved this character and I deeply loved playing them but I was like I think and I had this conversation with the storyteller. I was like I think it would be most interesting if we explored this character dying in this arc um, and maybe they kind of can sense that they're at that that their time is coming Ooh. in a sort of Alan Quatermain in that terrible uh, <laughs> League of Extraordinary Gentlemen movie. You know, he's an old tiger sensing his time. <laughs> that's my terrible Sean Connery. Nailed it, Connery. Yeah. yeah. It's good. My, it's good. my, my, uh, my Lithuanian Sean Connery is better. My, my hunt for red October Sean Connery. But that was really fun for me. Like, mm-hmm. and, and I mean, not just fun, but like deeply emotional, like, no, like feeling like my death was close. And then right. because it was a changeling game, leveraging my death to my own benefit. Uh, <laughs> you know, promising a death god. Yes, I will die at when sun rises, as long as you don't let me die before then. And I think we're starting to see um, a transition towards that in in games. Um, you mentioned Dungeon World before, uh, in a way that I think was a little bit unfair to Dungeon World's process. That's true, uh, because the last breath move is very much about that that transition from. Um, the state of living to the state of dying and what what that movement looks like. And the uh, the other game that I know is looking into this is, um, I don't know if you've heard of this little game called Live, Love, Die, that um, on Twitter the other day... <laughs> you you can't do this to me. That's my game, listeners. Uh, Ray put on Twitter the other day uh, a an optional death move where you can choose to... Uh, succumb to uh, defeat and unconsciousness and, like, withdraw from the fight, or you can, like, press on with high stakes um, and and accept death as ba- basically have that to become the old tiger who knows that your time draws near. Yeah, indeed, which is meant to represent, like... It, it's a mecha game, so it's meant to represent, like, those moments where, you know, the pilot's 
are like, oh, I gotta, I gotta keep fighting or everyone's gonna die. And then they like, they just destroy their mech to accomplish their goal. And in the process, normally also die. Right, right. But that's actually an important point. Like, like death comes up so often in our media, like for better or for worse. Sometimes it's dealt really well, other times not so much. But um, so it's surprising how RPGs, which are really about stories and good stories and death often comes up. But why don't we have a lot of, you know, mechanics and things supporting it? Actually, I just realized, like, I haven't been able to see this playbook in action yet, but The Veil has a playbook literally called The Dying. Um, Yeah, and so I'll just read out the description here. Mm -hmm. Uh, The dying is suffering from a non-communicable, debilitating disease that is slowly destroying you. You may or may not be aware of your ultimate demise, but what you are aware of is the symptoms. Although your condition also grants you boons, you will succumb to it. There is no cure, but there may be hope, grace, or whatever you may wish to find at the end of your tale. That reminds me of so many wonderful narratives. I kind of really love um, in, I mean, in fiction that deals with transhumanist themes too, which is a thing mm-hmm. that I'm interested in. Mm-hmm. I really love like, oh, I know I'm going to die. So I can do all of this stuff that you all can't because yeah. I don't need to worry about my body lasting mm-hmm. forever. Like my body's already wasting away. So yeah, I'll take all the, Plug me into the combat drug uh, <laughs> machine that like will destroy my liver in in a couple of couple of years because like I ain't got a couple of years. Let's go. Yeah, Let's go yeah. all out. Like push me beyond the norm. That's an incredibly human experience too. Mm-hmm. Like you, you talk about it being transhumanist, and that's mm-hmm. because that layer of metaphor. I, I guess I, I do want to step back and be broader about this mm-hmm. um, with. Themes like uh, death in and violence and trauma in games, we often find taking a step back, giving it a layer of metaphor to be really helpful. Mm-hmm. So instead of talking about death, we talk about mechs. Instead of talking about um, mm-hmm. our bodies falling apart, we talk about robots falling apart, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, th- and I think that that, that emotion of, um, you know, I, I have a, a finite time, I am going to live it up or I am going to make the most of what exists uh, is a really human experience. The game that I want to put a pin in there is 10 Candles. Mm. Yeah, which I've heard a lot about but haven't played. Okay, we should do that. So 10 Candles is a... Everyone clear your schedule, we're doing it right now. Uh, 10 Candles <laughs> is a game, uh, is a is a, a tragedy, a, a kind of a horror game um, where, you know, the, the world is, is dying and, and everybody is dying with it. Um, they have come and they are picking us off one by one. And the promise of 10 candles is at the end of this story, all of your characters will die. What matters is not whether you live or not. It's what you do with your final hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm into those kinds of stories. Definitely. I really like things where I really like stories and this is goes beyond just, um, this actually goes beyond just death games. And this is relevant because I just, uh, and death in things. Um, I really like stories where you kind of already know what quote unquote the ending is, Ah. but it's about seeing how, how you're going to get from where you are to where you'll be. Case in point, I rewatched the other day, Apollo 13. Apollo 13? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That that movie fucking holds up. Yeah. That movie is so good. Um, (laughs) I rented it for like $3 on YouTube. 
Um, and it holds up. And like one of the best parts about the thing is like that movie is that it's exploring this tragedy um, and this horrible and this like deadly moment in history. Um, and this, and because it's a thing that happened in history, you know mm-hmm. that all three astronauts make it home alive. Mm-hmm. Like that's not a surprise. And yet that movie is so good at making you fear for the astronaut survival mm-hmm. and then sort of stopping you from having, this is like an anxiety that I sometimes see. I, I don't experience this, but I know other people do this anxiety about being terrified for characters that you love and like worried about the outcomes. And this kind of prevents you from being pulled into this despair aspect. It's like, Oh no, are they going to live or die? And then like, if you start getting too worked up, it's like, well, hang on. I know that. I know that they all lived. Like they all made it home. It was a harrowing experience, but they did live. Like there is this sort of like cushion there, but also like you can apply that same sort of structure to other things of like, Yes, we know where we know what our end point is, but how are we going to get there? And like, how, what is that going to look like? And are we going to be happy? Well, not happy, but are we going to be pleased with or the satisfied. outcome? Satisfied. Satisfied is a better word. Yes. Mm-hmm. Satisfied with that outcome. And so, like, yeah, you just sort of reminded me of that. So, yeah, yeah. And that's a good point because, like, in Bluebeard's Bride, mm-hmm. um, when I run that game, I have to tell players from the start, all right, so this is not. A happy game. This is there is no way your bride is going to get out of this without something terrible happening to them. Like so, it's very possible death is one of the three things that can happen uh, to the bride. Because uh, literally at the end of the game, when they when the players reach the the final room that Bluebeard has been hiding from them, uh, depending on the choices they make, if they decide to go into the room, Bluebeard shows up and kills them. Like it's just straight up right there uh if not they get away but bluebeard haunts them if not they live happily in the house kind of in this strange like i think something else died they didn't physically die but they're so probably died in the process um but even if i t- if i tell that to my parents in the beginning even though they know like it's it's not going to be um a great feeling necessarily there is still some satisfaction in that tragedy if everyone's bought into it right if everyone is on board um, one of my favorite games of Bluebeard's Bride was, um, strangely enough, uh, everyone at the table, so I had how many players? I had four players, four aspects of the bride, and by the end of it, in order to survive, something in them broke, and by the end of it, they, were, they turned into like a serial killer, basically. They were killing the other brides for their husband um, by the end of the game. And I think, I think this happened because Bluebeard's Bride, even though it knows... Horrible things can happen. Death can happen. It gives you the space to explore it. Like they ask you questions. The game asks questions. And then everyone takes the time to answer what happened, right? So death and tragedy doesn't just happen shockingly. Like it doesn't just hit you just for the shock value, right? You're meant to explore it. Um, yeah, so that was one of my favorite games of Bluebeard's Bride. It was it was really great. This We were also like, how did we get here? How did we become a serial killer? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that sounds like such a fantastic play experience, but also, like, you touch on a really good point there that, like, you can, by making it known and explicit and not a gotcha or a surprise or, like, right. a, or reveling in the, like, shock value, like, you can deal with really deep and arguably, like, like you can deal with really confronting subject matter 
if you make it like clear and safe from the beginning that we're going to be exploring that. Cause one, like people get mm-hmm. to then decide whether they want to be involved in it. Right. And two, like you can build towards uh, like a deeper narrative there. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you can, I mean, and also like you, it's hard to do dramatic irony when you don't actually know what the story beats mm-hmm. are going to be. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm really into like giving like allowance for dramatic irony and like foreshadowing and things like that in play. So like, I like to be able to say like, Oh, we're going to, we're going to explore like death in this session. Like we're going to be pushing towards that or like, you know, this is going to culminate in like something dark, but yeah. Right. Right. But at least everyone's like, on board, prepared, and I, I think that makes a really huge difference. I don't like it when death just comes out of nowhere and it's just super sudden. And it, I, I don't like it when death feels like a punishment, you know? Like, I don't like it when death feels like, well, you didn't play the game properly, so now you're yeah. dead. I, I mean, I realized <laughs> recently that, like, my attitude towards death in game design was completely different to my attitude towards death in life. Oh, like, okay, how so? Uh-huh. So, like, I often, in the past, I've talked about the fact that I don't want to die. I want to be immortal. And, like, people, mm-hmm. lots of people that I know that have more conservative opinions about death are like, oh, that sounds horrible. And I'm like, <laughs> why do they think that sounds horrible? And I realized that it was because I wasn't articulating a part that I took as explicit in that conversation, but that mm-hmm. others didn't know. And now when I say it, I say it a different way. I say, I don't want to die until I choose to. Right. Mm. I want to be able to live for as long as I want to live. And I think that in games, I think that Mm -hmm. that is like an interesting space to be pushing towards too in design in that like Mm -hmm. you can't die. It's up to the player, right. You don't die when you fail. You die when you think it is narratively appropriate for your character to die. When Mm. you want to explore that death. Mm -hmm. So... One of the things that's interesting about that is that um, that level of agency is... So agency is core to all of the safety tools that we use, right? The ability, the autonomy, the ability for the player to assert facts upon the game. Uh, And we do that through our characters. And so, for example, um, indie story game Darling Lady Blackbird has a list of conditions and you can kind of mark the conditions. And when you mark the dead condition... It in in text means presumed dead until mm-hmm. you confirm it. Uh, and uh, the the thing that I want to bring up there is that we give you agency whether to accept death or not. But the problem is in the games that we have on the table at the moment, there is no agency after that. And that yeah. is why I think death is such a hard thing for us to explore in role-playing games because role-playing games are about the present they're about mm-hmm. i i do the thing i swing yeah. the sword i punch the bully i you know um uh, I, I i take a powerful blow uh death is about the things that you have done and the impacts those have on other people around you mm-hmm. when you are no longer ag- an agent in those yeah it would be interesting to see like more mechanics to allow you to like explore that. I know that there's, I can't remember the name of the game right now. I think it's about by the apocalypse game and it's about being cybernetically linked together with a bunch of people and like sharing skills and stuff. Headspace by, um, uh, mm, right. 
Roberts, I want to say. Yeah. But in Headspace, um, when, so you're cybernetically connected to all these people and you can share skills and stuff with them. If you're familiar with Sensei, it's like that, except like you've chosen, chosen to become part of this group of people that are connected together. So all of the players are like tethered together and can share skills and knowledge and information with one another whenever they pretty much feel like it. But when someone dies that is connected to you, mm-hmm. that you can that player can play a new character and bring a new person into like the network of the, the headspace, whatever. But also, you don't the playgroup doesn't lose access to that character or their skills, they're still around Ooh. because they exist as like a ghost oh. inside the connection that you've all built because your memories of them and the fact that they've like helped you use their skills before by almost like inhabiting your body. Like, mm-hmm. it creates this sort of unity of, like, their ghost living inside of you. and so Right, like a living legacy. Yeah. And so, like, that would be super interesting to... I mean, obviously, very interesting in that game. But mm-hmm. it'd be interesting to see more stuff like that where... I mean, in fantasy games in particular, like... Or, or like games by people, games by people that explicitly believe in an afterlife as well. Like mm-hmm. having more mechanics like that. I mean, I don't personally believe in an afterlife, but like if I did, I would include that in my games. <laughs> like if after, if I thought of the afterlife as real, then there's no reason why I wouldn't put that in my game as a mechanic. Like that's mm-hmm. why then that's why it's not in my games as a mechanic because it's just not a thing that I believe in. But like it could be if I did. I don't know. Interesting thought. <laughs> no, ab- absolutely. And um, specifically in, in Headspace, uh, Mark Richardson, I ended up looking it up, uh, the operator leaves behind like a single skill. Like you leave behind that way of showing how you affect people. And and I would love to see that like in like in 5th edition D&D, you know, a, a character right. dies and everybody else gains a proficiency that they had, that they taught them or something yeah, like that. Yeah, that would be like so cool. Scene, flashback, that sort of thing. And like yeah. that means something to me that that uh so i mentioned at the start of the show in the intro that i'm I'm a paramedic my experience with death is almost wholly with those who are the family members and those still living it's um uh people who i've you know brought back from chemotherapy appointments or people who i've taken to palliative care appointments or people who um I've I've attended and done CPR on and then and then spoken to their families after we've ceased. Uh, the the sick people who are dying, the people who know they're dying, the palliative care people, they care about their families more than their own health. And the families, when the person dies, like uh, again explicitly, I I don't uh, believe in an afterlife, but the person who dies ceases to have pain and ceases to have problems. And the family's problems kind of just begin. Right, right. And so as much as I want to explore the impacts on the dead, I want more games to explore how that impacts. I mean, here's the thing. I'm gonna I'm gonna go on I'm gonna go on a thing. I'm gonna get passionate about something here. Go, let's go, do go, it. Go. Right, let's put an edit break here so that you can cut this out when you get when you I'm get... not gonna cut it out. I love it when, when people get passionate <laughs> on the show. Okay. D D. D D parties are almost always uh, either, you know, orphans or distant or far from home or on some big adventure out somewhere and they have four or five friends. They have four or five friends in this strange land who are these people that are almost always 
not people from their homeland. And it's like, you know, I'm an, I'm an elf from across the sea. You're a dwarf from the mountain and, uh, you know, uh, Ray, you're, you're a green dragonborn and we are the three best friends who are on this exploration and we, we bond on this adventure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Also, Sid has a very good read on me. I would, of course, play a dragonborn. Oh my gosh, can I be the dwarf? But yeah. Absolutely, Sean. You're, you're, definitely, you're definitely that mountain dwarf and I love you. Um, and, and I die. I, the elf from across the sea, I die. Mm-hmm. Now, here's the thing that interests me is that I have no family because I'm, I'm of course, uh, a rogue. And so I grew up an orphan on the streets because I'm edgy as fuck. And <laughs> now my question is, from a game perspective, this is, this right. is the story that I want to explore. This is the game that I want to mm. see. Jami, as, 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 a, as a dwarf from the mountain and Ray as a, as a green dragon born from the poison swamps, do you, do you bury me in accordance with what, little you understand about my rituals from home with your rituals or do you mix them what does death mean to you like you are you are the closest people that we have seen in this story to me Mm -hmm. how do you respect my passing or do we breeze over it? I roll up a new character and next Yeah, that's so heartbreaking. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. it's interesting you mentioned that because like the first, I didn't play d and I played Pathfinder, but same difference, like whatever. <laughs> same game, basically. <laughs> um, I actually, the first character I played was a monk and I was playing it, like obviously a monk is a martial artist. They very much are drawing on, very much right. drawing on like the Shaolin monk thing mm-hmm. there. But I still was playing it as like, those monks, those Shaolin monks and stuff, they're still like priests and things. They're still like members of temples. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like I played up the religious aspect of that a lot. And the primary thing that I used my religion skill check for was after we had like fought a bunch of people and oh. everyone had killed everyone, I would be like, I'm going to make a religion check to see how we how we should bury them in accordance with their customs, whatever they would be. Yeah. And it was never really that interesting of a thing to do because it wasn't really that uh, like something that the other people at the table really wanted to engage with but it was something that i was interested in because it's like why is there a religion skill and like why and like we're killing people and like i'm i'm a priest i'm a priest who knows kung fu i want (laughs) to i want to make sure that these people that we killed like get to where they need to be so you you early flagging your story game uh, side aside, yeah. um, <laughs> you say you say that it wasn't interesting and that other people weren't engaged in it. And I think a large part of that is that the system doesn't impact right. that. Yeah, so like, doesn't yeah. provide the space. Yeah, if you could, there's no consequences if I f- if I don't bury them in accordance with their customs. It's like purely narrative. There's no right. mechanical thing for that. And there's there's option like uh, if. You know, some of your listeners will hear this and we'll send in an email that says, oh, we do this for every character and all our players are interested in D&D is the perfect game for this. And that's fine. But the system doesn't support that. That is an option to play, but not a... Yeah, and I think the problem is, like, it can depend who's running the game, who you're playing with. Mm -hmm. So even if the game... Even if the emptiness, even if the lack of space means you can put it in if you want to, I think it's very different when it's designed in mind, right? When when the designer themselves say, no, we're really going to make sure that every player has a chance to say goodbye. Every player has a chance to 
really deal with death on their own terms through the character, I think it's really different if it communicates that, right? So you can say, yeah, well, my game has it. Yeah, but that's your game. That's a very specific instance. It's not the same as like in general. But yeah, but going back to like your elf, I'm thinking about your elf from like... <laughs> oh, please, please do. Because it's you know, really... From across the sea, I was thinking about it. Um, so... Uh, I realize I'm the only person on the show who does believe in the afterlife, so I will, I will talk about it. Quite yeah, I was tempted. I was tempted to ask, like, <laughs> as someone that believes in the afterlife, do you have an opinion? <laughs> because, like, I think that that's an important voice to hear in this conversation. And it's, yeah. I mean, I didn't do this on purpose when I put together this group, but that's actually a really important <laughs> voice to have. Right, right, and and you know, like, um, I I just have to quickly say, I grew up in Singapore. I grew up as the most practical person <laughs> i only started believing in the afterlife just recently just because of this job that i have as a tarot reader um because people started to come to me saying well um my husband passed away or my father passed away or you know my mother is dying so i need to know how to move forward with this like a lot of times i get clients who are like he didn't write a will so now we don't know what to do we don't know what he wants done with the body <laughs> i want to talk about this later i want to talk about this so far. okay okay but, but later yeah, so, okay okay we're gonna we're gonna like pin it pin it for sure but yeah so like there's a lot of okay so in in my in my work even if it sounds like all i'm doing is connecting people and I, I'll be honest, like the first time I did it, I didn't think it, I didn't know if it was going to work, right? When they asked me, I'd like to connect to this person. I was like, I, I don't know if that place exists. I don't know if there's, and even if it does, I don't know if I can like actually reach it, right? Um, but surprisingly enough, like uh, this is, this is just how I learned. It happened really easily. Like I would be hearing, like now I feel like I have to explain how it works, but it's sort of like. Um, the way I do it is I use tarot cards and it's like when you read a book and you hear someone talk in a voice. Like if I say right now, imagine the sound of an ambulance siren in your head, right? You can hear uh, it. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's like that. It's not like Hollywood in the movies where it's like it's, these, yeah, these it's traumatic the mind's eye theater. Yeah, yeah. And so, and I think because of this, it's made me a better GM. But anyway, so, <laughs> so it really just works like that. It's very simple. And I'll say things and the people I'm talking to will say, wow, that's exactly what they said or that's exactly what they told us or like it'll, it'll be too specific for it to be something that I can just make up, right? Um, and so in particular, when, when, for example, it's a will, right? So I'm there taking care of them. I'm holding space because they think that what they're worried about is who's going to get what and who's going to be taken care of and who's going to pay for what. Like that's what they think they're worried about but what they're really what they really need in that moment is to know that the person they loved is not is not going to be ashamed of them right it's not going to they're not going to look at them from someplace else and feel like you fucked up my funeral right? mm -hmm. <laughs> like, yep. like you made this you made this really bad like this this uh, and in my own true life experience when my father-in-law passed away i remember there was this really strange moment where he was cremated and so we set aside the glasses my husband decided to keep um his father's glasses and my sister-in-law just for a moment like she freaked out because she was like how is he going to see if he doesn't have his glasses with him and i was like um you know the, these these but i knew she didn't want to hear it right i knew that in the moment if i tried to explain why he didn't need physical glasses to go where he was going um but there needs to be like this sort of 
this comfort, right? This, this kind of like, we need to know for sure that we're not messing up somehow, that we're, that we're doing right. So when I think about your elf who lives across the sea, I could, I think the dwarf that I would make would be a traditional dwarf because I love my dwarves that way. Um, but I think we would have had enough adventures that I'd realize for you to be as edgy as fuck as you are, to be away from your family as you are, that those, those things may not necessarily matter. And I would, I would attend to you in the way that you, that I probably would have gotten you drunk to talk about it at one point. I think I would have done that just to know <laughs> what your elf would have liked. Yeah. I mean, that kind of, I was thinking about that as well when, um, when, Sid brought it up originally as well was the like like those are the kinds of things that you would maybe have talked about when when you're when your job is almost getting murdered all the time <laughs> like, I feel like you would occasionally <laughs> have a discussion about like what to do if I die hopefully, uh, hopefully. and and so I mean a part of that like this sort of transitions into like another thing that I love is like little vignettes or whatever in particular in games where you're that heavily feature like traveling from one place to another of like having vignettes to pass the time um mm-hmm. this is something that red markets does really well well mm-hmm. it's something that red markets at least does is perhaps mm-hmm. a better way to put it mm-hmm. and that is that you are traveling from your home enclave normally where you live in the apocalypse to a job site to try and make money to eventually buy your way out of the apocalypse. You want to go to the places where it's nice and not be here in the apocalypse. Uh. (laughs) Um, And so one of the things that you do is you have either legs, I think they're called. You have legs or, yeah, you have legs that determine how far away something is. And to pass a leg, you can either do a complication or you can do a respite. And so a respite costs you resources to do, but like a complication is an opportunity for more payoff. Um, and like you might, oh, there's a gas station that's uh, nearby and there's a bunch of like zombies or whatever banging inside of it. What are you going to do? You can try and sneak past or you can break in. But if you take respite, it's like burn a bunch of rations and then one of you has to talk about something to do Ah. with like the emotion in this moment so it's like who is talking i'm talking and then like what are you talking about i'm pretty sure there's like a list of like prompts i think Mm -hmm. from memory so it's like one of you is talking about like i can't remember what they are but like it might be like one of you is complaining about an aspect of the job that you are finding annoying and so Mm -hmm. like then you have to listen to your co-worker complaining or like (laughs) one of you had a really good all of you are picking on one member of the group for something stupid that they did in the past right and that is like that more so than the other aspect of the um of the legs mechanic the the respites build the feeling of traveling a lot more Mm. Um, for me, cause like, that's what traveling feels like. It's like, we've got to pass the time till we get to the thing. Mm-hmm. Let's have a conversation about something. What are we talking about? It doesn't really matter. We're talking about something. And like, I think that there are moments in there to talk about death too. And it's like, especially seeing as lots of role-playing games deal with people in life or death jobs. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, so I, I want to talk about that cause this is, this yeah. is, important. um, and I'm going to ask a couple of questions, but I want to make it clear that 
Um, while, while I would love to hear your answers, um, by no means do you have to engage with these questions if, if mm. they, they aren't um, something you want to engage with at this point. So, um, Jami, you get me drunk. Um, my elf <laughs> says to you, which we should do one day, definitely. Um, oh, yeah, for sure. My, my edgy elf says to you, um, my people, in order to... Um, in order to transition into death, need to um, be be thrown into the sea. We are we are you know from across the sea, and that's where we must rest. So I need you to tie rocks around my legs, throw me into the sea uh, when I die, uh, mm. preferably. Um, the issue is we are on our way to stop a mighty dragon from burning down villages. That is in. Do you do you take the break from your quest to save lives in order to give me the rest that my oh culture my says that I need? Oh my gosh, I job. feel like crying. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, here's, here's a question for, for you, Ray, which is that um, uh, part of my culture is that um, we, we come into this world with nothing and we are trying to build everything that we can, that we can um, and we will take it all with us because our, our life on this earth is just to generate resources for our next life. So um, that's why I'm a thief. And when I die in my back... Of course, it's your religion. Yeah, it's my religion. I'm a thief religion. I'm a thief cleric. Oh, God. Um, a cleric of thievery? Cleric yes. Of thievery. When I die, I have in my bag the um, scale blood dagger, the only dagger that can pierce the hide of the dragon that we're hunting. Do oh, you carry it or do you take it from me? Oh, gosh. So okay. it is worth noting that one of the things that really appeals to me about role-playing games is mm-hmm. that I can embrace my emotionally motivated impulsivity Mm -hmm. and I don't have to worry about making the (laughs) correct or optimal choice. So often like putting me in a situation to make a moral choice, if the goal is to make me agonize over it, will not be very enjoyable for the GM because I just won't agonize over it. Mm. I'll make the decision that my heart pulls me towards. And the decision Mm -hmm. that my heart pulls me towards there is like, we'll find another way to kill the dragon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, yeah. and also, if if that is literally the only way to kill the dragon, I am sure that y- you in the afterlife will find some way to convey <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah, okay. I, th- I, I think my I think my dwarf would uh, uh, would do the same of like having to choose. Like, I'm already imagining like it'd be so great to have mechanics that can support this. But anyway, I'd love the idea of like a. Uh, a dwarf who believes in duty, who believes in doing what's right, but the duty to friend and the duty to the greater good um, calls out equally to him. But I think my dwarf would actually uh, choose to go in the opposite direction to make sure his elf friend like has the proper... I think he would even find special rocks that he would carve runes on. Uh, yes. I right? feel like... I feel like if I was answering that question, I'd be tempted to try and recontextualize what is an ocean? (laughs) (laughs) Just a bathtub, leave me in a bathtub at some end. Oh, I was thinking like, what if we're hunting the dragon in the desert? Like, it's an ocean of sand. Oh my God, that's terrible. (laughs) (laughs) That'll try and preserve you until we can take you back. (laughs) So there are... In, in, in medical death and dying decisions, there are four principles that we use to make ethical decisions. Mm. There is autonomy, that people should have the, the right to make decisions for themselves. There is benevolence, that we should do what makes people feel better. There is non-malevolence, that we should not hurt people. And there is justice, that every minute, that every dollar that we spend on one person 
is a minute and a dollar that we cannot spend on another person. Wow. Interesting. Those four principles are presented to us with no precedence, no hierarchy, no, uh, no focus as healthcare providers. And as, and, and when we take the role of medical decision makers for those that we love, we have to decide what's important. Is it, is it more important that, you know, we, uh, preserve grandpa from any, any more pain of surgery, or is it more important that we, uh, do the benevolent thing and try to help him? Is it more important that we do organ donation or that we preserve the religious beliefs to, you know, bury the body hole? And that, that is, they are hard decisions and they are wonderful ones. And I think the important thing, Ray, is when you say, if your goal is to make me agonize over this, it's not because. Oh yeah. Sorry. I didn't mean for that to be a judgment call on you. I was talking about in the past. (laughs) (laughs) It's, It's more about, I don't, I think, I think the idea of like, agonizing over the decision mm. is this worry uh, Jami pointed it out that there is a wrong answer. Mm. And I think what I have found more often than not is that every answer is the right answer because it's the one that most reflects the values of the people that are making it. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I would kind of love if I was like, no, we have to bury him with the, with the dagger. Like it's <laughs> his, it's his religion. Yeah. <laughs> we'll find another way to kill the dragon. And then there's no other way to kill the dragon. It's like, Oh, well, <laughs> we have to now solve this problem a different way. Now we have to. Now we have to charm the dragon. Yeah. We can't kill him anymore. <laughs> so, um, I mean, the fact that I'm a dragonborn and I exist suggests that the dragon is charmable. <laughs> oh gosh, we're going for that truth. Wow. Okay. <laughs> it, if I can kind of be self-indulgent about this for yeah. a while, um, if you're interested in that in that discussion and that exploration in games, uh, a very smart and attractive designer by the name of Sidney Icarus um, (laughs) wrote a a game that is about that. It's about a a pilot of a mech dies and it's about the four friends getting together to decide what to do with the mech. And it's that decision, you know, do we, do we do what the pilot wanted? Do we strip it for parts? Do we, um, you know, do we waste money on this plan? That sort of thing. And it's, uh, and it's about finding, the rewarding process of deciding how to how to make decisions for people at the end of their lives. You know, that kind of reminds me of a moment in what in a really bad movie that okay. <laughs> symbolically, if the movie had been made by someone else or in a different way, it could have been a really beautiful moment. And it is in the second Michael Bay Transformers movie. Ooh, okay. Uh Old man Jetfire tears out his heart mm-hmm. to sacrifice his spark and mm-hmm. also his body parts to give Optimus Prime a jetpack for 60 seconds. Oh my god. I like he could have happened. just jet like Jetfire in that movie had already been established that he can teleport, that he can fly. Like, why couldn't he just grab Optimus? But instead, he oh. like makes a very me choice, to be honest. <laughs> like, I want to die so that you can accomplish this thing. And, like, that symbolically is, like, a really cool moment. And, like, that's, that's like, and you, your conversation about, like, do we sacrifice the mech for parts? Like, that's an interesting thing to, like, see players do in the moment. Like, I really right. love, like, it's like, it's like a higher stakes spirit bomb, right? It's like, I'm going to, yeah. 
Oh, actually, I just remembered. I haven't actually seen this, but I think the original version of Sailor Moon Season 1 has mm. kind of that as the ending. When they recut it for American audiences, ah. it's like, oh, no, we passed out. But, like, in the original cut, the Sailor Scouts progressively die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To, like, power yeah. up. Yeah, um, because... The princess of the moon a very important uh, magical girl thing in fact in every season they die that's kind of the problem though i didn't know that that happens in every season <laughs> because the first time it happened i was sobbing but by the fourth time i was like don't these girls <laughs> like didn't couldn't they have figured out a way to avoid dying? is there a way for you to power up without dying yeah is there is there Goku hmm, Usanagi. Every season, they act shocked every time it happens. I think that was the weird thing. There wasn't ever a moment of like, well, we know what's coming. Let's face it together. I well, think that <laughs> every human being I know acts shocked when, they, when someone dies next to them. And you're like, well, we know it's coming. Like, That's know. true. So, uh, uh, like, speaking, speaking really broadly, because, like, uh, there's, there's a whole lot of um, patient confidentiality things, I have gone into homes where... 90-year-old-plus mm. people have gone to cardiac arrest and I've turned to the partner and said, what do they want? And they're like, oh, I don't know. We haven't spoken about it. Yeah. Like, he's, he's a million years old. Talk yeah. about death. Yeah. My, yeah, for sure. My mum has made us aware of what we're meant to do when she dies forever <laughs> because... My mum comes from, like, a place of poverty. So, like, the conversations we've had about what to do when mum dies aren't, like, what she wants done with her body or whatever. Uh, it's like, when I die, you take my credit cards, oh and you gosh. go to the ATM, and you withdraw all the money so that the government can't take it from me. <laughs> and then you divide it amongst yourselves. And I'm like, and, I'm, and so, like, that's why we all know mum's pin code for all of her cards and like similarly when my dad was dying uh he like he got diagnosed with cancer it was very obvious to him even like four years out he's like yeah i'm gonna die mm. eh. i'll fight it this round and then next time eh. so there was a lot of like here's what to do when i die and yada 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 and it's like and like even then he still make made mistakes with his death mistakes in like he would have seen them as mistakes. Mm -hmm. Like he was like trying to leave us his house so that there wouldn't be, so that my brother and I would have this like safety net. Right. Mm -hmm. And then he didn't pay his life insurance. Oh. So what he actually left us was a mortgage. Oh no. <laughs> Cause he thought that that was all fine. Um, and then yeah. because oh, wow. I'm like, flashbacking to all my clients where a lot of people in the afterlife, are like, yeah, I should have, I'm sorry. I did it. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. yeah. Yeah. It happens. But you know, like, um, it's true. It's true because like I have had this conversation with my husband numerous times about not, not just what happens when I die, but also when things look bad, right? Like when I'm in the hospital, because here in the Philippines, uh, going to the hospital is really expensive. And like, for example, when, when my father-in-law died, uh, my husband and I had to spend hours in the hospital arguing with people just to be able to take the body. Um, wow, wild. Because um, it's a long story, but basically people who said they would offer to help during the expenses didn't realize how crazy it was because mm -hmm. uh, he, he had a stroke and it was, you know, uh, it was like two weeks of him trying to survive the process uh, and he didn't make it. 
So it, it was really expensive. It was like, it was a huge amount of money that we couldn't come up with on the spot. And we were like, but the wake starts tomorrow. And they were like, no, you can't take the body. Not until <sighs> you. It was, it was, I think it took us like four hours to fix it. Um, yeah, my dad's and- funeral was very like, it was very the the funeral parlor like holding us to ransom. Mm. Right. And I was like, God damn. Yeah, and it's it's such a it's such a it's such a vulnerable time. But like because of that, like I was so upset. And then plus everybody was arguing about what's going to happen at the wake, what's gonna happen at the funeral, how is it going to go? And and so because of that, like I, I called up my parents that night. It was like ass o'clock in the morning. And I was like, mom, I don't care what you do, but you have to fix this because I don't want to be arguing with my siblings if things happen, right? And, and even for me, like, I think I started talking about it early on because um, content warning, uh, trigger warning, uh, suicide and stuff. Because when I was, I think it was like around 16, 17, um, I had manic depression, which now they call borderline personality something something um and so i was extremely suicidal like i ended up in the hospital quite a few times but because of that i sort of developed this really strange sort of zen relationship with death because like i had i had thought about it so often for so many years that afterwards even when i got better and i no longer needed the medication and i was no longer manic depressive uh years later it was still something it was a strange gift that came with it, right? So because of that, I always made it a point to talk about it with people, like especially my now husband, then boyfriend. I was like, okay, so things get bad, right? If I end up in the hospital and it's 50-50 and you're not going to be able to pay it off in just one month, right? Maybe even like three months. I want you to not bother, okay? <laughs> like you can just let me go. It'll be fine. Uh, so I've, I've tried to like list as many possibilities for him just so that it's clear. One of the main reasons we got married was because I knew that if something happened to me and I couldn't talk, that my parents would try to take over mm-hmm. and he wouldn't have any say in it, right? Like legally, he wouldn't be allowed. So one of the main reasons we got married um, was just so that I wouldn't have to worry about my mom screaming at him. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's like a thing, right? That's, I mean, this is kind of a different point but it only takes like a sentence to say and that is like people often ask why why do people want to get married like uh, it's just paying money it's like it is just paying money you're paying money for rights you're paying money for the right to Mm. be a part of someone's life system yeah for sure and like why do why do why do why do gay people want marriage so that we can like actually yeah. be involved in our partner's lives Absolutely. legally. Yeah. It's so, it, it's just a basic civil human right for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. But yeah. And, and so like bringing it back to games, I wish, I wish there was a way we could like sort of, I feel like if we talked about death more, that it would just sort of help more of us just like, like I, I want to try to, I haven't been able to do it yet, but I'd like to be able to design a game where you could just like talk about it without without death being a shock value. Like, mm-hmm. Sid, like Sid, I'd like to hear more about um, your lovely game yes. uh, that you just brought up very, very briefly. I was it's hoping a, you would get it. It's a good game. Yeah, it's a beautiful game, but I'd love to hear you talk about it. Like, like considering that this was the emotional mecha jam, like, why did you feel like this was the game you had to design? Um, 
Austin Walker in one of the Waypoint podcasts, uh, I, I've never really been big into mech fiction and, and Austin Walker says um, in it that mechs, mechs are bodies. That's the metaphor, right? That, that the humans piloting them represent the soul and the mech represents the body. And that's one subtext, one reading of, of mech fiction. Um, I had just attended a, um, an elderly person who didn't have any discussions about advanced care directives or not for resuscitation or whatever. Mm. And he had a lot of cancer and was quite thin. And by the time we got done performing CPR, as was legally required of us, we had basically abused his body for like an hour and a half. For, oh, for my no gosh. Time. And wow. it was incredibly traumatic to his wife and to us and to his daughter and it should not have happened in that way in in mm-hmm. in my opinion and mm-hmm. so what i wanted to do was make a game that showed people that these discussions are difficult but also showed people how they can make them easier mm-hmm. and the short answer is almost every country with a functioning healthcare system has a thing called an advanced care directive or a living will or something like that mm-hmm. where you can write down and say I do and don't want this exact treatment. And you can you can be as specific as you want. You can either say like, you know, and the thing is, it's about being specific. I, I had this discussion with my grandfather recently and he's like, oh, I want quality of life. But that's not, that's yeah, not like, what does actionable. That yeah, what does that mean? What What is quality of life for you? Like, exactly. yeah. like what, exactly. what are you willing, what, what are you willing to lose or sacrifice in order for that? Well, now I'm thinking of like, I mean, now I'm thinking of Mikazuki and Iron Blooded Orphans. And like, <laughs> Mikazuki gave up a lot of his body in order to be able to keep fighting. Because, like, mm-hmm. that's the one thing he does better than anyone in the fucking universe mm-hmm. is, like, he fights. And, like, that's the only skill that Mikazuki thinks of himself as having. And he's like, mm-hmm. I, don't, oh I don't care if I can't walk <laughs> or use my arms anymore as long as I can still pilot Barbatos. Like, that's all that matters. Like, oh as long as I can still protect the people that I love. Like, so that's what Mikazuki's quality of life is. Sacrificing use of his body and the ability to be separate from Barbatos um, in order to be able to still fight. If he can still fight and still protect people, then that is like an excellent life for Mikazuki. Right. So one of, one of the things you've brought up there and one of the things that you brought up with the um, Jetstream bit as well, uh, talking about uh, about Transformers, is that that is a decision that that person makes. Mm. Um, you're a game of, of writers, and it's not one that I've put up yet, but I will put it up on YouTube. It's really good. Um, the um, writer, writer is the pilot and writer's um, sibling or oldest friend, which in our case it was a sibling, is able to extract some level of her consciousness from the mech and like turn her into a functioning AI if if they wish. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's ah it's, the old Dixie flatline trick. Yes, the um, metaphor for a lot of things. Um, but one of the one of the comments that came up and that links in with what you're saying there, Ray, is um, the the oldest friend says we can turn her into this like into this AI that we can plug into the into the mechs and can keep fighting and the commanding officer comes back and is like for us to turn Ryder into nothing more than a weapon would be like the biggest curse we could ever put upon her like she is finally free of war we need to let her walk away from it and 
I, I think that's what I love about um, uh, about my game specifically. And I'm I'm very Bathsian death of the author. I'm very much about player interpretation and about the play experience. Mm-hmm. That game is built around you defining what Ryder is, and and if you decide that that she only ever fought because it was her duty, and that in death she is free of that, that is a valid interpretation of the character. And if you decide that, you know, she would be willing to give up anything to fight again and to help defend people, that is also a valid interpretation of the character. Mm. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, I had a similar thing when I was doing Live, Love, Die, Remember, where, like, at the end of that, at the end of that game, which is the one game that I made for the Sad Maker Game Jam, because we all three of us make games for that, um, mine also deals with death but it's more about reliving your memories of love before you have to make a decision about what the end of your life is going to look like mm-hmm. um and when i wrote it the 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 two choices that stood out to me as choices that you that exist in mecha fiction were the mech chooses to save the pilot and then sacrifices itself to like end the fight <laughs> or which bt titanfall uh, right. Or uh, the mech and the pilot die together to stop the war for everyone else, which is, um, I mean, that's in everything. And then I, and those were the two, right? And the one that, the one that I thought of when I was playing, making it, I thought was, this is, this is the good ending. The good ending is the one where you both die, right? Because mm-hmm. you died together. Like your love continues and endures and you use it as a weapon to end the war. Right. Um, but that was just my personal preference. Mm-hmm. And so I also included you basically saying, fuck this to the war and you and the pilot run away and mm-hmm. live your life the way you want to live it. But the war continues on. It's like mm-hmm. I wrote some of my bias into that in that the way that that's written, it explicitly says uh, your love survives, but the war continues mm-hmm. to sort of imply like, do you think your love is more important than ending the war? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just like my own personal bias. Like all of those options are valid and like right, all right. of those options are equal, can equally be courageous. Like to stand up and be like, I'm not going to fight this war that I don't believe in mm-hmm. and I'm not going to sacrifice everything for it. Mm-hmm. That is powerful. And is also the final like conclusion of uh eighth ms team uh and you know that's that's incredibly i i love that like when it shows up every so often uh i i I think as a gm i try to offer that option too like uh where you know you can just choose yourself you can just choose you can choose to be selfish in this moment you've been you've had to put other people in this war ahead this whole time yeah. Let someone else win this war for you. Like, that's yeah. also, like, a, a great narrative. Um, but, yeah, that's I, I'm trying to, like, not go off course. I'm trying to stay on the on the death topic. But it's, uh, there's a lot there, for sure. No, indeed. I mean, yeah. I, I, it's, it's, there's so, like, it's such a rich topic. And I think, like, I don't know. There's so much to be had here by, like, engaging with this narrative that we think of as difficult and latching on to this and even just having like, like for example, your game doesn't have to deal explicitly, explicitly with death directly. Like it doesn't have to have dying mechanics. Right. Right. But like you can still, 
prompt people to talk about these things. Like if you're like, it would be great if D and D had a vignette mechanic as you travel to the dungeon. And it's like, Oh, what do you guys talk about tonight? While you're like getting ready for bed. What's the mood? It's like, Oh, I think that it is a, I think that it is a somber, sullen mood. It's like, cool. Let's go to the somber, sullen mood track and let's pick a, Let's pick a prompt off here. We can roll randomly or what do, what calls out to people? It's like, oh, I think one player, one of the characters wants to talk about their people's death rituals, probably because they really want everyone to know what to do when they die. Like, right, right. like just having that option. Yeah. Like, I think that there is, that's just like one tiny example. Like there's so <laughs> many ways you can include these kinds of discussions in your narrative and in your uh stuff to make it a deeper and richer story yeah and actually like what i want to also bring up that's so related to death in a way is that i don't like it when death is seen as this great punishment that it's the worst thing that can happen because i feel like like from my personal experience uh and from the work that i do i find that death itself is not it's worse for everybody who's left behind right i think we can I'll agree on that. But for the person themselves, um, death can be like a really beautiful release, right? Even the death card in the tarot. I know that the movies try to use the death card to be scary, but the real meaning of the death card in the tarot is that it's about release. It's about transition. It's about letting go of something in the most gentlest way possible, right? It's a very, it's a really beautiful card. So what I would like to explore in more games and what I'm trying to do in my own design is offer, okay, so what is there other than death? Because like, I feel like a good example is that social death is a lot worse. Like if you do certain things and you screw up badly enough, you shut down all these relationships in your life. Like I yeah. find that to be sadder than just physical death, right? I'm, yeah, I know I've had to deal a little bit with that before in the past where like I have made a mistake and I'm like, oh, okay, cool. I have to build a whole new social network now. Um, and like that's, and I mean, that kind of touches on, you kind of reminded me of like of another thing related to this um, that I was thinking about earlier, which is, mm. and like, again, related to this, um, is the fact that death is often like a gift in a way, not, mm. and is transformative, but not mm. just to the person who is dying, but also to those people like around you uh, mm-hmm. and, and surrounding you. Like my father's death was so important to me for understanding what I actually wanted out of my life mm-hmm. and like completely changed the way I was spending my time. Cause I'm like, why am I wasting all of this time doing all this stuff that I don't care about? Like mm-hmm. I'm go- I could die at the age of 55 Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and <laughs> and have fulfilled none of my dreams because I was of the opinion that like, oh, if I just save for my retirement. Right. Uh, that's when oh, I can do it. That's when I can live. Yeah. Yeah. Then I can live in my retirement. I can go on all these wonderful train trips across the world that I really want to go on. It's like, nope, dad, before I could do that. What a bummer. Like, yeah, right, mm-hmm. right. And like, obviously there are other ways that like death can be, like a gift. I mean, we already talked about like the really like over the top dramatic, give your power to someone else ways. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Right? But like you can learn like so much about yourself and like the world around you when someone passes. Um, and I think that that's, 
I don't know. I feel like that ties to the death card thing that you were talking about. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Because like, um, and what's interesting about the the traditional Rider White card, uh, the traditional, like, actually, that's why I don't like tarot decks when they when they rename it, when they remove the word death and they replace it with rebirth or endings. Like, I I get really annoyed. I get really upset. I'm like, death is a part of life. Don't remove it from the tarot deck. But um, so in the original card. Death rides a pale horse, right? So he's a skeletal figure in armor, which is interesting. Like, um, like you can read it and interpret, like, in what way is death really- a mech? <laughs> that too, also. <laughs> Sorry, continue. Right, but why does but why does he need armor? Um, and in what ways are we protecting ourselves? And what's interesting is that um, so there are people. It, it looks like a battlefield of some kind where where people have died and. There are poor people, there's a king, like it doesn't matter, like death comes for us all, change comes for us all, it doesn't matter how much we try to fight against the tide of things, but change always comes, right? And that's the main, that's one of the most beautiful lessons uh, that death can give us, that we, we can't keep existing in just one perpetual state forever, right? So from moving from alive to not alive, from moving from when we were young to when we're older, it's all like an important aspect. Oh man, that just like is conjuring all of these immortality feels for me. <laughs> Namely because I want to be able to change forever. You know? <laughs> like right, right. Like, so when like you, like, you want to die, it doesn't mean you don't want to change, right? Yeah, like this like I think that's I think that's like an element of why people when when we talk about like immortality immortality is like a curse. Yeah, like that's yeah. that's the, the curse. The vampire kind of curse, like yeah. being unchangeable, and yeah, yeah. like that's not the part about being immortal that's exciting to me. Like the part right. about being immortal that's exciting to me is the opportunity to change yeah, forever. Like what mm-hmm. what will I be? Uh, like in ten thousand years, <laughs> <laughs> like what will I look like? What when will I? Change so much, right? Yeah, so. like what will, like, I mean, yeah, yeah. If so much changes in just one year of my life, yeah, magnify that out to millennia. <laughs> yeah, that sounds exhausting to me. Nothing Look, else. fair. Yeah, I'm out of here. I'm out of here at like sixty. I'm definitely, <laughs> I'm definitely not into uh, forced immortality. Yeah, oh, <laughs> I'm barely into forced mortality. <laughs> Consensual immortality, just like consensual polyamory and consensual everything really Mm -hmm. right and that and that sort of like moves in towards like very gray areas like euthanasia right for example Mm. like when is it okay when is it not okay when is it yeah i mean we talk about this a lot um from uh an ambulance perspective talking about um again trigger warning here for suicide and self-harm uh for people who who do engage in suicide, like how do we, or, or in attempts at suicide, how do we give them healthcare while preserving their autonomy? Yeah. When, when their autonomy is. Oh yeah. To themselves. Mm-hmm. I had to, yeah. Like I'd obviously thought about that previously, but I'd never really thought about it. Like mm-hmm. you. Yeah. Like if, if one of your guiding principles is autonomy, how do you do that with the other parts? And also, and, like, how does justice yeah. and autonomy tether against yeah. benevolence and, there? And how is it fair that an 80-year-old woman with terminal cancer is allowed yeah. to make that decision, but a 
30 year old person is not allowed to make that decision. Like who, who, who gets to define that line? Who gets to draw that line? And that's, I don't have answers. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But I would I would love to have a game that explores those questions, right? Like in a really safe way. I like I feel like if we need to cloak it in metaphor, like in mechs, or if we need to directly engage, um, that would be really cool. Because yeah, that 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 is something I think about a lot. Like if I had if I had done what I wanted to do when I was younger, like a, a lot of times I'm just sort of like I catch myself being like when I was 16, 17, I had no way of imagining that every minute wouldn't be painful, right? Like I was at a point mm-hmm. where every minute was just so difficult. Like I, I, I had to just try to survive by the second, then by the minute, then by the hour. Like that was my, my journey basically. But now I am so ridiculously happy. Like, like life is just really good. Aww. I mean, you know, but, <laughs> but you know, like I feel like, Okay, so I'm going to I'm going to share a moment here. Um, so basically, one of the things that I know that I learned how to do is called Reiki. It's a form of energy healing. I guess that's the best way you can call it. Um, and so I had this moment where our teacher was like, "Okay, I want you to think of someone you want to heal through time, through space. It doesn't matter where they are or when they are." Is what my teacher said. Like you just send healing energy towards them. So we go into this meditative state, um, and then what? I was I was imagining that I was going to heal a friend of mine who was in who was sick at the time, but what actually came up in my mind was myself when I was sixteen years old. I think sixteen, seventeen, right? And I could really clearly see her wearing these like uh, awful elephant pants <laughs> and, like, <laughs> and these arm warmers and this uh, like I I could really really see see this jammy in the past who was still a girl, so I still call her her and like. Um, and so I remember walking up to her, sitting down. I, I exactly remember like this moment in my life, like it was at a food court in a mall. And I was just talking to her saying, I know it's really difficult now. I know there's, you can't imagine a way out of this. I know it's, it just seems really pointless. I know that it hurts a lot, but I promise you, you're going to be so happy. Uh, I promise you that everything is going to work out so beautifully. You just have to, I know you can't see it, but you have to have faith. You just have to hang on. And as the moment went on, I saw in the vision, I could see my parents walking towards me. And for some reason I thought, you know, I can't, I can't be here. Like I can't have my mom and dad see this older version of me. I have to leave now before it happens. And my, my dad in that, in that vision looked at me straight on like I could see him sort of recognizing me for a moment, but you know, there was still a part of me that's like, oh, this is just made up. You're just having a, you're just having a healing session. You're just imagining this in your head. So I woke up. It was a great experience though. And, and I remember thinking, you know, there was a point in my life when I was 16, 17 that I felt like I had to hang on, but I didn't know why, right? I just knew I had to, but I didn't know why. And then later that day I saw my parents and my dad looked at me and he said, oh, wow, that's a really nice dress you have on. And I was like, oh yeah, thanks dad. You know, I bought this, blah, blah, blah. And he looked at my mom and he said, do you remember like maybe 15 years ago, we saw a woman dressed like this at a food court. Like I remember thinking about, and I was like, what? <laughs> like how weird, like in that moment, it crystallized for me how it seems so impo- impossible. Like even my mom was like, what are you talking about? 15 years ago? Why would I remember a random woman 15 years ago wearing a dress? Um, but so ever since then, I've been trying to recapture that moment in game design, right? I've been trying to capture like how we can bend time and space, how we can offer comfort, how we can talk about 
death, how we can reconnect in those ways. But yeah. <laughs> That's kind of a really beautiful story. And also, this feels very shallow, but also I feel like you've just put pointed me in the direction of how to solve my time travel mechanic. Oh, I've been trying to work out how to put a time travel mech module into Live Love Die, oh, like oh, like the time go. travel mechanic in Titanfall Two. Yeah, and yeah, I just yeah. didn't have any idea what it did. Oh. And now I'm like, what if it allows you to go back in time and give your give somewhat? Yep. Only to heal. You can only use it to heal. Yeah. Oh, that's a great idea, though. Oh, my yeah. goodness. Uh, like you can use it to go back in time and give, like, one bit of advice. Oh, God, I unconditionally love you both. Oh, that's so funny. Oh. <laughs> um, so, Shami, I've got a question for you, which mm. is that uh, in the OSR, because you are, uh, I think, I'm not sure on raised OSR stances, but I think you're probably also the the conversations OSR geek. Mm, 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 yes, um, definitely. I okay. think that that is 100% Jamal. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm, I think I'm probably split, but uh, in the OSR, the OSR is, is very primarily led by like um, vi- violence as tool, death as consequence. Right. Right. How do you, I guess when it comes to death and the OSR, what is your, what is your death dream? What is your, like, how do you want to integrate, your feelings and what we've discussed here into your next design of the OSR. Yeah, most, yeah, definitely. This is something that I like struggle with a lot because um, like I just started really, really getting into OSR, but I'm, I, I really don't like how death is handled for the most part. Um, so the game I'm working on right now, it's called Angels of the Arcana. I wanted death. Oh, thank you so much. Very good. <laughs> um, I wanted quotation mark death to come really easily. I wanted, I wanted, like, I still have to test it to see if it works as intended. But um, so basically the mechanic is that um, when you lose, like for one thing, I didn't put HP. Um, instead, uh, I have lucidity, like how much you can keep aware of what's happening around you. And then the other one is uh, tenacity, like physically, like how can you keep moving forward? Um, and so when both of those things, because I wanted to communicate that death is not just like, I feel like you have to lose both in order to really succumb. Okay. And then the second thing that happens is that it's a very like sci-fi, futuristic kind of grim, dark kind of setting. Um, so within the tower, the high priestess is an AI code. And when you die, she doesn't let you die. Like basically she rewrites your code so that you have to come back and fulfill the mission of destroying the tower. Because I wanted the conversation to be about what if we take away this option from you, but I still want it to feel like it matters. So that's so good. So the players have two options. The first one is that they can continue as they are as the same character, but then everyone sees how they've changed. Like there's an aspect that becomes angelic or demonic about them. And so everyone around them, loses a few points of resilience, like one point of uh, lucidity, right? Like how much they can take it. Or you have a different option where you create a completely new character. Like, so I wanted it to be a meta. Oh, I want a different character who can do different things to solve the issues at hand. But then everyone else around you forgets. Like the, the high priestess rewrites the memories of everybody. And it's as if you've always been there. 
So, so everyone's lucidity drops by one point, right? Because everyone's a little less sane, basically. So that's my current experiment with death because oh. I want to be- <laughs> Oh boy! <laughs> and you can subscribe to Sword Queen Games Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> Please yeah. support me while I make this game. Thank you. <laughs> Whoa! That's wonderful. I so love that so much. Yeah. So what, what I'm getting from that is that uh, so so I guess the question that I want to ask is um, when you talk about death coming really easily, you said you don't want death to feel like a consequence of failure. So yeah. what have you thought about what is going to prompt this rewriting of code? What prompts the decision to... Mm, right. So, like, uh, for them to get to that point. Yeah. Because um, you don't want to be, like, when you yeah, roll a six minus, you... Yeah, don't. yeah. Yeah, basically. Because, like, so what I wanted to do was, like, from the start, the characters feel, feel fragile, which is a very OSR kind of thing, right? Uh-huh. Like, you know, very few hit points. Uh, things look dire. If you're a wizard, someone sneezes at you and you're dead mm-hmm. uh, in original OSR games. But uh, so what I wanted to do was when you create a character and um, so you see how small the numbers are from the start. And I, but I wanted it to be, I wanted it to feel like it's because the tower is so big. It's because your mission is so huge. It's because things are truly dire. Things are truly desperate. Like that's what I wanted to communicate. Um, Right. And so death is not a punishment. Death is just something that is present. But it's an inevitability. Like, yeah. yeah, we're always engaging with it, right? That's yeah. what I wanted it to do. So I didn't want it to feel like, hey, you, you made a mistake, so you die. But it's more like, this is just how difficult things are. Death is something that's chasing us. It's a little bit, um, it's a little bit uh, edge of tomorrow. Live to oh, yeah, repeat. which I love. I love that so much. Well. I have uh, been playing The Outer Wilds, uh, which is a space version of the Live, Die, Repeat formula. Oh. And it is so good. Can recommend. Yeah, okay. nice. Oh, it has been just an absolute dream talking to both of you and uh, and having this conversation, having this dialogue, and talking through all these ideas and things like that. and picking your brains it's just as always it is a pleasure talking to both of you and having you if people want to find more from you where can they do that jamila uh so for me i'm ridiculously active on twitter uh at temporal hiccup uh they can also follow me on itch.io where i post i i think i release at least one game a month i think uh it's probably, it, I'll be honest, it's been more than once a month, but I'm trying to slow down. Um, and my Patreon uh, of Sword Queen Games is also a good way to follow me. Excellent. And Sydney, how can people find more from you? Uh, Twitter is a great place to find me, at Action Economy, uh, and that's a good base. Uh, I also have a bunch of stuff up on YouTube that you can find there where I talk with people and play games and have some playthroughs of writers. Otherwise, jump on my uh, itch.io or itch.io, as it were, um, and linked below, and uh, you can grab writers for $6 at the moment, and it's absolutely phenomenal. And a yeah, good it's a beautiful fun. game, yeah. Yes, it is um, uh, It is an, uh, a 90s Australian systemless game by Mechanics, <laughs> which I love. <laughs> okay excellent and as always you can find uh more conversations like this by looking for by clicking on rather the uh iqh presents tag 
or you can hear interviews with uh, Australian game designers and game designers from other parts of the world by clicking on the interviews tag. Uh, we also have actual plays. And uh, you can find me on Twitter by going to UsulRay1500. Um, I trust in your ability to Google. Uh, <laughs> but again, I want to thank both of you for being on the show. You are wonderful, fantastic, lovely beings. Uh, and uh, yeah, farewell from the past. I'm Ray. <laughs>